podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, the shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it up. So welcome back everybody to part two with Ambrose Mendy. We promised this at the end of part one, which we recorded just a, a couple of days ago. We were on Mile End Road, just outside the cafe after the after the weigh-in, taking in the sights and sounds of London. And it was one of those days Friday, just a great day, you know, the kind of day that I love because we did a we did a pod in the morning with Mark Taffet, which was really interesting. That'll be coming up in uh, the next couple of weeks. Wandered off to the weigh-in, immediately bumped into a great pal of ours, Al Siesta, who's a fascinating man. He sat just 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 across the way, always full of information. And then we wandered across the road and and uh, heard two of the greatest stories best told stories i've heard on macklin's take from from ambrose mendy i was i was i was on my way home fat dan oh oh my god fat dan doolan i was on my way home listening to it listening to it back and just laughing my head off and just thinking to myself fucking hell i love boxing you know i really was because it's just it just it's just an absolute treat you know we do this for we do do this for the love of it we don't make a penny off macklin's take and it's you know it's just Great times, great days. Anyway, the the man is back, the bard, as we might call him, given his his storytelling abilities. Uh, just before we get into um into some uh, tales of, of days of yore, with the morning after the night before for the Shields Marshal Bill, you've been doing this a long time, Ambrose. But that was that was a great night last night, wasn't it? On 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 every level. On every level, you're right. It, it was indeed amazing. You know, you saw the cross-fertilisation of, like, boxing supporters. You know, one might have thought that only women would go to watch women fight. But, but that was a premium ticketed arena. It was packed to the, you know, hills, so to speak. And um, people unashamedly are walking around saying, you know, the feeling that they were part of a, a special, special night of transition you know watching women fight with great skill application dedication commitment to the task both determined to fulfill the boasts that they made at the, at the media conferences and everything else and let's be honest about it I never expected that last night I didn't and I think I'm a fairly fair minded person you know, a guy who's got sisters, got daughters, had a wonderful mum. So all reasons to respect women, but mate. And I don't think it's temporary. I think this is like the ascent of the premiership in footballing terms, as opposed to the old football league. People would say it would never work. And yet, of course, it's now a byword for excess and everything else in, in sport great night it, it was it was it was a huge success I was sat in the arena up the back and it's the first time I've sat in that kind of seat mat for for a while but what's great about doing that is that you're mixing with with, with fans and you get to see the whole arena you get to see the, the thing in its kind of entirety and off the back of the success of the women's euros 
I think women's sport, football and boxing in particular, because others are more established, has got a massive opportunity to become a big draw regularly. Because some people, there's quite a lot of people there last night who've never been to boxing before. I heard them talking about it. I met quite a few before I went in. I think they're a little bit, I think newcomers can be a bit scared off by men's boxing and by men's pro football. Because it can be a bit intimidating, quite hardcore, quite tribal. But this was different last night. That the whole vibe of it was just was just terrific. The ring walks were amazing. I think there's a real place for regular all women's cards because also with those two minute rounds, you rattle along at a really good pace, and the action is the action was sensational. Yeah, I think boxing's a sport and it's a business, and professional boxing in men's sport can be pretty brutal, a brutal sport and a brutal business, where. I don't know, maybe with the, with the women's professional boxing, it's almost a bit like amateur boxing, men's amateur boxing even, in the sense that it's faster. Because of that, it's shorter, it's less brutal, you know what I mean? Where the 10-2s as opposed to 12-3s, it's, yeah, that the, the, they're, uh, I mean, they're a spectacle. I mean, those two fights last night were as entertaining as fights as you're going to see. Mm. But, it, but, you know, they weren't brutal, you know, do, do you know what I mean? Where I yeah. think some, like, uh, people coming to boxing... I'll give you a quick, very quick story. So, a physio who used to, you know, I used to see over the years for, um, uh, this will bring us on to Nigel Ben actually, uh, a, a hand injury, I had a bit of physiotherapy when I broke my hand and it was kind of getting the strength back and everything. So, he said to me, he wasn't a big fan of boxing, he said he went to a Nigel Ben fight years ago at the uh, Royal Albert Hall and yeah. he said it was so brutal that it just put him off. So, I think you're right, people that... It, you know, so if you go to a boxing match for the first time, you're not a boxing fan, and you end up, you know, you go into a, a fight where it's really brutal. That those sort of fans might not come back. Where last night, even though it was really competitive, it wasn't. It didn't have that brutal factor to it. If you know what I mean? Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And, and people are constantly talking about three minute rounds for the female fighters, and we know that they're more than capable of it. They box three minutes in the amateurs, but. We don't necessarily need to see three-minute rounds just so we see more stoppages because the action in the two-minute rounds is... I mean, it's, it's, it's just fantastic. It's just fantastic. We're, we're going to talk yeah, about that. Way, I don't... I mean, I don't... I'm not saying it's nice when it happens to men, but I don't want to see women with their nose getting broken, jaws getting broken. Correct. I don't want it to be more brutal. Yeah. I'm happy for it to be uh, more skilled, yeah. more competitive, all those type of things, but I don't want to see it more brutal. No, and, and, and a lot of people are, are in that camp. So I, I think 12 two-minute rounds for championship fights, and let's, let's just leave it there because the, the proof is in the pudding. The, the entertainment it's providing is just, I mean, it's, 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 it's tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous. I'm now going to shamelessly cut that chat short because Ambrose, we, we can't afford to waste a second with you because um, there's just so many things we could talk about, but... We heard a couple of, of fantastic stories last time, um, mainly about the early days with um, with Frank Warren uh, and the breaking up of the cartel. We've got to get into a bit of Nigel Ben. So how did that all start? How did you and Nigel get together? I went to a, a boxing show. Um, this had been in, in 86, 87... Um, with Frank Warren and uh, Ernie Fossey and the reason we were going was to see make an evaluation of Nigel and 
Nigel was fairly unknown. He, he had a remarkable early start to his amateur career, having come out of the armed forces, and should add served two t- tours of duty in Northern Ireland, one in Afghanistan. So he was he was well regimented, and um, just had this steely-eyed, firm determination that comes from ex soldiers and uh, I knew as a black person I'd be able to relate to him on terms because we had a small media the the West Indian world, the voice newspaper that was kind of like if you were black they were the areas that were going to push you not too much was happening unless you climbed a mountain in professional boxing anyway um touch knuckles touch knuckles everybody does it now but you know it was kind of like a brother thing and a black thing and uh, Frank signed Nigel um, and you've got to remember at this time as Nigel was being introduced probably Michael Watson and Harold Graham were kings Johnny Melfer was in there and roundabouts some way um but there was the great Errol Christie mystery. Could you know his fears be allayed? Could he overcome this fear of, of being knocked out, which lived with him forever, unfortunately? Um, so they were looking for a, a new start. Where was boxing at? Boxing had come, you've got to remember, from Tony Simpson, Mark Kayla, Alan Minter. Bunny Sterling. So there was a great rock bed, you know, for talent to be nurtured. The unfortunate thing was you, you, you did have to fight twice as hard for black achievement. And what I could see was people who were similar to me in outlook and everything else had adopted the local dialect. I'm a Cockney. You know, people from Birmingham are Brummies and etc., etc., etc. So you had to try and win an audience. Nigel was winning an audience by ironing people out. I mean, they're, they're free to, <laughs> to watch on YouTube. Some of them are just unbelievable. You can imagine being in the uh, arena. And no matter what people say about the class and the quality, you know, you, the, the fighter, your home fighter or your, the guy you're supporting was doing his damnedest to get the opponent out in a way that would impress his backers. You know, there was this thing about, are you a ticket seller? Well, there there was a job for ticket sellers, and Nigel was a big ticket seller without actually knowing it. So he never had a bunch of receipts in his back pocket. But nevertheless, we were going to it. People like, you know, Nigel's a cockney ex-services that'll do for me anyway of course ITV thought we won the sign Nigel Ben. they had this midweek sports special which was founded um, as far as I remember by Central Television Gary Newborn Katie Newborn his, wa- his wife and um, they would go regional regional Tyne Tees, Grampian, um, Central, 
Thames and all these guys who were greatly in favour of a network being established knew that they needed somebody they needed a star and that's what Nigel Benn became um, he was wild but in a controlled fashion um, but Nigel was best summed up by the statement he made himself the more I get paid the harder I fight and he lived by that absolutely lived by that fearless and I saw some of that in Clarissa Shields yesterday she just refused to lose and that's what he, he was all about refusing to lose fight anybody anytime but was always measured you can imagine when he was in the army the, 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 the fusiliers you can imagine when they were going to go into the field they had a plan they never just went in there and charged over the top and, and did whatever. It was There was always a plan. Um, and I defy anybody to, to go on to watch Nigel Benn's greatest fights, greatest wins, greatest knockouts, and only, just like they say about eating sweets, only tasting one. They would, oh, I'll watch another one, I'll watch another one, I'm not sure. Anyway, let me cut to this. One day... I get a phone call from Nigel. Um, no, from a, a guy who owned a nightclub in in the West End, um, Jake Paniota. It was called Brown's Nightclub. I don't know if you, you yeah, ever do, yeah, Brown's, yeah. And um, he said, look, Em, I've got a, a boxer here now. He's coming. You know him, but could you come down and have a word? So I said, yeah, okay. We're not miles apart from each other. I go down now, go up into a room. There's Nigel sitting down. Hello, Nigel. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm all right. No, I'm not all right, as it happens. I, you know, so Jake then said, look, Ambrose, what it is, he wants to quit boxing. I said, what? You know, what are you going to do, go back in the army? He went, no, no, I think I'm getting ripped off. I'm not going... I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. I don't want all the money, but I want to get. I want to get paid. So anyway, we we had a conversation. He was obviously unhappy with Frank, so I thought, well, this is easy. Frank and I were were at this time on on good terms. You know, there was no animosity or anything like that. So I thought, well, I'll phone Frank, and he went, no, no, I don't want you to. I don't want you to. I've made my mind up. Um, I want to knock this on the head. I, I don't want to... I said, what, just because of money? He said, yeah. I said, well, get yourself somebody who you, you can trust because you're throwing away a career. So he said, well, why don't you represent me? And I looked at Jake, and Jake said, that that's the reason why we called you up here. So I said, well, let me try this first. Well, let me try and speak to Frank and see what he's got to say. And as long as he promises to give you more money, can, he said, no, I'm not interested. Just, if you want to try and speak to him, you go ahead. And if you've got something worthwhile listening to, I'll, I'll listen. Anyway, so it was simple. I phoned Frank. Hi, Frank, how are you doing? It's Amber. Oh, how are you doing? Da, da, da. What about... 
what about um, so I said you know what's happened with Nigel what's he been saying you know all, all aggressive talk and everything else and really that was the beginning of the end of a relationship between Frank and myself I, I turned to Nigel and said look I'll tell you what I can do I can get you hooked up with a dog's bollocks of a legal representative who will not leave a stone unturned he went yeah but it's, got, it's going to come to dough I said no I'll, I'll, I'll pay for that but if it results in a court case if you lose the court case I'll suffer the cost if you win a court case we will get the the monies back so that encouraged him a little bit um, we got the wheels in motion um, and then he made a formal um, address tonight to Frank I don't want you to represent me anymore da 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 well two weeks before this Nigel had signed a, a contract agreement with who was it he signed an agreement with somebody anyway um, oh Bert McCarthy who was his licensed border control representative and so all of these had to go on the, go on the head we went about the everyday two three days afterwards a guy bumps into me near my home on purpose you know like a shoulder and I realised what he'd done is post a, a summons on my chest which dropped on the floor I picked it up at the time I read it, read it. mate here was on his toes running through <laughs> through the park in case there was any retribution anyway what it was was a cease and desist uh, from Frank um, warning me of impending legal action for a torturous interference of his walled or whatever it was what I knew it was was bollocks absolute bollocks I'm thinking I know this guy I've known this guy for years I'm married he was my best man how the fuck is we don't go around this way because I'm not being funny but normally if you've got a problem certainly in the East End you've got a problem you, you hope two conversations can meet, solve the problems and everybody gets on with everybody else. That's not what had happened in this instance. Um, Frank took me for granted. Um, obviously was thinking he could do all, everything. All his achievements were his own achievements. Um, so we were polar opposites where our thinkings were. So um, I went down to have this injunction because... Frank had got an ex parte injunction, which meant that he could comfortably rely on the, the courts to protect his interests, etc., etc., etc. Anyway, I asked for that ex parte injunction to be lifted in the High Court. I never really had a prayer, there was no precedent for it, but they went with us, and that's to, due to the eminence of the people that represented us. So all this is so long-winded but I'm trying to abbreviate it as best as possible anyway um, 
so now it bounces back at that point if you've got something to say you better say it because there's no going back here none and Frank was yesterday's old guard you know it was an era where people relied on remnants of the craze and the rumours and everything else about them and this that and the other I'm sure they were actually two two guys who just wanted to get on in in the world but what we had to deal with it with, with now was the fact oh and what became apparent was Frank went to the board and nicked Nigel you know like under contrary to rules section so and so so and so so and so so and so you uh you've got to appear before the board and they set some ridiculous date which is like two months away so what's Nigel supposed to do during the interim no one gave a fuck you know on the other side so we went back to the court to ask him to allow him so the court miraculously um, found for Nigel and what it said was that Frank Warren has got to enjoin um, Nigel in this case. So, well, he's got to enjoin me, which meant that Frank was in effect suing himself or injuncting himself or whatever, it bounced back on him. Anyway, so we go through this, this battle. Um, I knew lots, lots and lots and lots of people were mystified by the machinations of the British Boxing Board of Control or as boxing is it's fairly complex for those on the outside anyway what this was doing was developing the distrust between Nigel and Frank and enhancing the trust between Nigel and myself so I sent Nigel packing off to Portugal and you know Nigel enjoy yourself have an holiday the court will come back from because it had gone into recession come back and we'll have the full blast at the court but the good news I've got for you Nigel is the, the, the court have decided that you should be able to fight during the interim and he was like what? so I will be able to box I said yeah spoke to Brian Lynch lovely human being Nigel's trainer, mentor and everything else and a very difficult man to get on with and uh, he said Em just tell me something, will he be able to fight because if he is I'll ignore everything else I said yeah, come down to the solicitor's offices and they'll show you the document because they won't reproduce the document so it never got in dodgy hands anyway, that was it Um, there was there was, a, you know, this feeling from boxing community, from all realms of sport, because everybody wants to, to say that they've had a row with this person or that person come out unscathed. So we, we've got Nigel into football clubs. I, I, I knew I represented players from most of the major clubs. And we set a date at the Royal Albert Hall. It sold out within an hour absolutely within an hour it was, and there weren't you know 50 ticket punters or collectors or no this was either your 
you had a guy who you could go and buy tickets from with everybody's permission. His name was Archie Kessler. Very funny guy, but as honest as the day was long, trusted by everybody, so he could make a market. They just went. They just went and all set. Six weeks later, Frank Maloney and Terry Marsh, who had become my boxing partners, um, had booked the Royal Albert Hall, tried to do a deal with their tickets. They charged an enormous tax on the, the, the price of a, a ticket. So you had to be thinking in terms of 50, 75, 100 pounds, which is probably the equivalent today of 500, 750 and 1,000 pounds. It just sold. Of course, I'd invite all the listeners to go on YouTube and watch that fight, even though I own, I, I own the intellectual property on it, so I'll get sod all. But go and watch it, and you, you see the beginning of somebody who is arguably the finest front-foot offensive fighter this country's produced, certainly since the war. And it, and it was transitional, because we were seeing what, in 1929, was never going to... couldn't have been envisaged, which was that a black man will te- um, challenge for our titles. That was actually said in the, in the 1929 agreement that was set out for people involved in the boxing industry. And um, it, it, at the same time, we had Frank Bruno on the rise. We had Lloyd Hunnigan on the rise. Oh, can you, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get it on. <laughs> no, 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 we could hear you. We could hear we you. Had, Just keep it a little Frank bit closer. Bruno emerging. Funso Banjo, the son, the, the, the father of the, the lads who are, I'm trying to remember what the... Oh, the brothers. Talent. The Banjos, Ashley, the, yeah. and uh, I can't remember his brother's name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. But it, it, he was the big kahuna, you know, under uh, the auspices of a guy who come out of um, Walthamstow so was a good financial backer people were making positive investments in black fighters and this isn't like black fighter got a chip on my shoulder or whatever it was gone through the the international program you know for me the most iconic person in boxing the person I mentored from was the, was the great John Conte who, who was just a pioneer and seeking fairness and his idea of fairness was don't rip me off and of course another time you can talk about the effect that, that, that he had on on boxing's progress it was wonderful meanwhile look we've got Nigel back in the in the ring no one can believe it the gaff's absolutely sold out John Barnes you know was one of maybe 50 famous named footballers that I want to come to the show and not for free tickets I'll pay, I'll pay special ring sides whatever and blah 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 anyway it, it was, I think Nigel began to appreciate this is a whole different world nothing he did, he'd envisaged nothing like this when he was in the army um, but he, 
he had reason to believe. You know, when you're a soldier, as Nigel told me on many occasions, you have to trust your fellow human. You have to trust that he'll do what you think he's going to do. Because if you get it wrong, you could be dead in an alley. And so all this excitement, family in there, um, first first round in, in this comeback fight, and within 90 seconds he's on the floor. I'd actually never seen Nigel on the floor doing anything. Never mind fighting. Anyway, he got up. Of course, he's calling us screaming at him, Nigel, Nigel, box behind the jab. All he wanted to do was to tear the guy's head off. And, and as I say, I invite, at that point, listeners, go and watch this. It's incredible. Where he was hit 21 times to the head and the, and the jaw, the referee, Larry O'Connell, who sadly is no longer with us, but I came to have conversations with him, harking back on boxing, and, and, and he said, Ambrose, I promise you, I was going to stop the fight. I moved to stop the fight. Nigel threw an enormous haymaker, which missed by maybe two feet. And then you can see him, his glove, was, the miss was so emphatic, his glove almost touched the floor. And he, he came around with a sweeping left hook and lifted the guy off the, the floor and he constantined it. It's spectacular. It's just unbelievable. And you can see the press with their, their jaws up. So this was the birth of a star. And the solidarity from Frank Maloney, from Terry Marsh and from Nigel meant on our side of the fence we couldn't lose. You know, we were confident we had the best legal representation. Nigel was satisfied that his career was going to have built longevity in it. And we knew there was an audience out there for his front foot aggression. And coming through, you know, people like Errol Christie, like Michael Watson, like Johnny Melfer, like Mark Kayla, like, it was just, there was a conveyor belt of talent, and Nigel was top of that talent tree. And talking through other areas, I mean, for example, when Nigel fought Michael Watson, you know, you talk about, and at this time, by the way, we have we've had the court decision. The court decided, the High Court, that I can manage Nigel, regardless and respective of the British Boxing Board of Control. So now we've won a proper one. Nigel wants to fight Michael Watson, and there was no no villain. Uh, you know, when I say there was no villain, normally there's a, a one's deemed good, the other one's deemed bad. There were Michael Watson fans and there were Nigel Benn fans. They both... Michael Watson came from north-east London. Nigel came from the east end of London. And it didn't matter whether he was black, blue, ginger or indifferent. People were... Impartial, well, they were partial to one fighter or the other. Just on that, Ambrose, whose idea was the super tent? Because that oh, fight, that was Finsbury Park Super Tent, wasn't it? Yeah. And that fight you were talking about before, in case people are wondering, that was Anthony Logan. Correct. Um, 
carnage two rounds of utter carnage definitely do watch that but yeah the Finsbury Park super tent goes down in folklore as just being this incredible spectacle Finsbury Park's massive if people don't know it's like having a fight in it's not as big as Central Park but it's like having a fight in in that kind of an area and there were helicopters and searchlights and just all sorts going on that night yeah so hey 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 kids Hey everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes, it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! This is so crazy! If, you, if you'll, remind, you'll remember to remind me, George Michael Bross. So before we finish the interview, just remember to, in case we don't flow into it, let's just say that. Anyway, where, where were we up, up to, I think... Watson, the super tent. Yeah, so I knew Michael, um, and more important, I used to have a mate, Michael Seacombe, and uh, unfortunately he was killed in a car crash in 1982, 1981-82. Really popular, well-known kid out of um, Islington. Anyway, his dad, this lad Michael Seacombe, was Michael Watson's trainer. And I was in and out of his house, you know, bi-weekly, whatever, and there was no animosity. Everybody kind of, like, knew everybody. You couldn't have been happier if you tried. But anyway, I'm with Frank, the the ABAs, but the... um, England, because then they used to have the English and the National. And I think um, it was in Preston anyway. Michael Watson was, was going to fight somebody. I remember Nigel Ben knocking out in about 20 seconds later on, but he actually beat Michael. Well, that made it even more interesting because it, was, it meant he wouldn't be going to the Olympic Games. And so there was more chance of him turning professional. So I set up this ruse at our offices in the Bloomsbury Crest Hotel, Frank Warren Promotions. I set up this ruse for Michael to come there to do a, a magazine interview with a prominent black magazine, which meant he was going to get exposure in areas that he'd, he'd not had before. So I said, meet me at the, the Bloomsbury. Anyway, he turns up. I told Frank, listen... He's definitely going to turn. So we go and sprint. And, and Michael, God bless him, bricked it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've already signed with Mickey Duff. You know, I can't. I felt really sorry for him. And it was just another. It was just another opportunity missed. And um, but it was on the radar. And I remember Eric, God rest his soul, saying, Ambrose, one day these two will fight. Well, when we jumped forward, we had this lead campaign of, you know, anti-Mickey Duff, um, pro 
Nigel Benn. Anyway, the, the, to come of the day, we had these bids, sealed bids that had to be filed with the Board of Control. So Frank Maloney, Terry Marsh got this done. And we won the purse offer, which Mickey Duff couldn't believe. I, I can't remember, it was about £400,000, £350,000. It was record, record, record money. So now this was an easy one. I was very close with David Dean, the former Arsenal vice chairman, vice vice chairman, and um, so I phoned him up. You know, we won the purse bids. This is how uniform boxing was. Can we hire the stadium? You know, Highbury, St Ambrose. We're, we're digging the. T- as soon as the final whistle goes, the end, last game of the season, contracted to lift the turf up to replace it. I can't do anything for you. Anyway, we go to the Royal Albert Hall. They were, they'd obviously been got out. Mike Barrett had the, who was a prominent promoter in his own right, but a member of the cartel. Um, it blocked that. Similarly, um, Wembley Empire Paul, which is now in the where Wembley Arena is. Everybody was. Suddenly, nothing was available. So, on the one hand, I've got to, to find £350,000 um, to put in as to meet the bond in Frank Warren's Frank Maloney's account by 12 o'clock the following day. So it wasn't a problem of getting the money to, to put this up. It was, what? Why are you going to pay f- for this? And you've got no outlet. There is no. Anyway, I'm driving home through Wanstead Flats and the outskirts of um, East London, and the phone rang. This is a, it's actually there's a film of this because it was being recorded at the time. So I think it was the MP Bernie Grant. I don't know. Like Bernie was massive in London. First um, black member of parliament from his constituency, and probably one of only three countrywide. From how you doing? Yeah, Ambrose. I, I was watching the. I've been listening to the BBC Two six o'clock news or whatever it was that you won the purse bids. So I said yes. He said, well, you don't sound too happy. So I told him what happened. He said, well, why don't you put it on in Finsbury Park? So I thought, fuck, you know, what a good idea. So I said, suppose it rains. He said, sell the tickets when the sun's shining. And this is a member of parliament, fucking the most militant man you'll ever come across in your life. So I said, look, he said, listen, come to my office tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, don't be late because I've got a little window. Anyway, so I got up there. I said, come, come with me. We went to eight offices within the Haringey Council with this piece of paper and 100% legitimately, they got stamped. Rubber stamped, rubber stamped, rubber stamped. This was about maybe four and a half weeks' work, what it would have taken ordinarily. We'd called a press conference for the following day, which was now, 
Finsbury Park and there, there is a, um, a video that's just been released that covers this. I don't know if you've seen it. A, a, a guy, Eric, um, the video man. Eric Guy, yeah, yeah. Eric yeah. Guy. Eric found a, because we used to bring him in to tape everything. He was like a, an old school Coogan. And um, anyway, you're laughing. Nah, I know who guy. He's done all. He's done all the amateur yeah. ABA's finals and everything. So we go to this to this press conference at Finsbury Park. I know now. I've got a venue. It's anyway. Some of these old sages, these old reporters, they were so pro the other side. You you couldn't tell whether they were telling lies or telling the truth. So we go down to Finsbury Park. And they're all smarmy and everything because they know full well I'm going to say we can't give a firm commitment for a date. So I said, OK, guys, you know, if we can just get to the point, um, this is what we're here for to announce. So one of the guys, I think it was Rob Shepard, said, uh, well, that's not what we've heard. You know, the press were a lot braver then. That's not what we've heard. We, we heard that... Um, you haven't got a venue. I said, here, can you read? Have a read of that. And he went, well, uh, so they, a few of them showed it to each other and then thought, fuck, this, our responsibility is to our newspaper or our, our radio station or whatever. Let's sit down and... Uh, so, so we did. And the, the, so the tickets went on sale. We made these commitments. So I'll try and jump into some of these points. We've made these. Everybody wants to 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 come to this fight, and we had loads of room for. To, first, of, first of all, we were going to limit it to six thousand. It went mad, so we took it up to nine thousand, and it was still going. And this is forty-eight hours announcement. We we hadn't even printed the tickets, and I get a phone call from a a, a guy, Roger Levitt. Have you ever heard of Roger Levitt? I heard the name, yeah. Yeah, Roger Levitt was the, the finance behind Lennox Lewis. And... Um Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. I thought that was Panos Eliadis. I thought Panos was behind Lennox Lewis initially. No, Panos... Um, Panos worked under Roger Levitt when Roger Levitt got nicked for Ponzi's and everything else Panos who was his partner stepped in it's, it's not so long conv- it, it, there's stories out there with regards to this anyway so but going back to to where the fight was we had um, I think Six six and a half thousand tickets committed. And Roger Levitt says, um, Ambrose, can I have a meeting with you? I said, Yeah, anyway. I go to a meeting with him. He's got a suitcase, a suitcase full of money. I didn't ask him where he got it from. I just wasn't because I knew this fight had sold. 
what he, by the way, what he was saying to me was, I want to buy all the tickets. I said, you don't even have the fucking capacity, yeah? Can you ask? To, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the easiest get out. And Frank Maloney, bless him, is going to be, let's take it, let's just let him do it anyway. I said, okay. What, he was trying to buy the gate? He wanted to buy the gate. He said, and I've got to have the ringside. So I said, no, you can have half the ringside because I need them for the press and everything else and da-da-da. He went, OK, deal done, half the, half the ringside. As soon as he was gone, we just rewrote everything for inner ringside, which I don't know if that appeared anywhere before this. So we got two, two, two rows each side of the ring, which we're now classifying inner ringside. So that means that all, all the... All the players, the sportsmen, this, that, and the other, everybody could could turn up. Anyway, Nigel now knows he's a star, and, and it, the the press nicknamed our little gaggle the Black Pack. So they were going here, they were going there. You know, Linford Christie, John Barnes, Ellery Hanley. So it wasn't just boxing so to speak and I've got to tell you the truth even some of Nigel's opponents were you know like you'd go to Browns and and they'd say look we've got somebody outside says this uh, so we were in the nicest way we were corrupting people <laughs> you know <laughs> it ain't worth spending all the time in the gym you know there's this there's that but creeping up on the other side of course was Michael Watson, who was doing everything right. Um, in a show which we did at the, the Royal Albert Hall, no, no, Mickey Duff did at the Royal Albert Hall, we told through the media, um, the equivalent of Radio 5 Live, that we're going down to demand this fight. So I'm going backwards at the moment to go forward. So we go, we get to the venue, so Mickey Duff famously says you ain't coming in he's standing by the door you ain't coming in we'd never even broke stride just walked past him and he's saying to the security just stop him this ain't never the security like myself were black they would all they'd do is fucking enhance the problem so they just stepped aside we went down to the changing room Mickey Duff's running down, I'll sue you, I'll do this, that and the other. So Nigel, for the first time, looked in Michael Watson's eyes. Only Nigel can tell, tell you what his thoughts were, but he knew he wanted to have a row with him, so he'd have to take him in the trenches. And Michael was so confident, you know, he tells me that's the moment he knew that he could beat Nigel. You know, short of feeling the taste of the power. Anyway, it, it's we, we start doing deals with the Daily Mirror, the Sun. The Sun had a column in it called the Bizarre Column, which was a forerunner for all these magazines. You know, like with girls with their frops hanging out and whatever. <laughs> Page three was the big, the big thing, and it was. It's, when I tell you this, it was unbelievable. But they had a guy 
called John Blake. He ran the Bizarre column in the, the paper and uh, was dreaming up bits that are worthy of publicity. But one of the obvious things was who was going to turn up. So they don't mean much today, but the likes of Bross were going to commit to come down. Um, George Michael and Andrew Ridgely, you know, like from Wham, UB40, Chrissy Hind, The Pretenders, everybody, everybody wanted to come to this one. Anyway, on the day, because this, this is hilarious, on the, on the day, um, we're doing the, the tents up now, you have to see this tent to believe it. And, and by the way, going back to the driving through Wanstead Flats and on almost a eureka moment. <clears throat> I'm just wondering, if, I, if we stop in about five minutes, can I get a drink? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah? Don't, <laughs> that can go on the recording as well, but it's not <laughs> alcohol. The, um, so we get told this person's definitely coming, that person's not coming. And one of the disappointments was George Michael because he was a cousin of Jake Paniotu who'd been instrumental in bringing Nigel and myself together, I said earlier on. Anyway, he, they told us, so come the day, Jules Michael won't be coming. So I thought, fuck me up, we've arranged this media bit, that media bit. What are we going to do? So the show was called Who's Bad? Is, 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 are you familiar with this? Who's that? The show was called at Prince Park, Who's Bad? And the reason it was called Who's Bad was because um, Michael Jackson was touring England at the time under this thing of Who's Bad? And so I doctored the, the posters and on it, it said, Michael, I'm bad, and you know it. But because I'd used the same font as... Anyway, they, they were suing me because they were running a campaign at the same time and, and that all this. Anyway, it was all front page. We were being sued and whatever. Anyway, we settled it with five inner ringside seats. Notice the difference between ringside and in the ringside seats and they said that they because Michael Jackson would be touring at the time they wanted I don't know they wanted something ridiculous and some money so it was obvious a media agency that was trying to broker this but what it meant was that Michael Jackson may appear so we had these things northwest southeast inside the the tent and there was a voice up that there was a Michael Jackson look-alike so the, the shout would go um, who's bad on North who's bad, who's bad, who's bad and then the real um, the, the Nigel Ben would then come out and the voice would say Nigel Ben's bad so if you speed that up, what I've just said, <laughs> three or four times, you'll kind of get what it was. So who's bad? Who's bad? Who's bad? Nigel Ben's bad. And then the, his entrance music 
the rest, as I say, you can see on film anyway. And it's, it's wonderful that these things were recorded. Anyway, this, we've got no George Michaels, a big disappointment. Because other people were coming on the strength that, well, George, if George is going, we've got to be there. And it's, it's all hurry, scurry. Um, this, I mentioned Roger Levitt earlier on. When he found out about he'd been half semi-duped, you know, with regards to the inner ringside and re yeah. ring, he'd sent somebody in there to go and alter all these. He sent someone in there to go and alter. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. These, yeah, what, what was he thinking when he realized he got had over? <laughs> well, well, so what, 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 what's happened? I got someone to sit on there and say, no access. Don't let any of his team come in altering anything at all. Anyway... They did once, and then they did it a second time. The second time, unfortunately for them, was on the day of the fight, the morning of the fight, and we had to go and look at gloves. And Mickey Duff, unbeknownst to me, had a two-sided coin. So he said, you can call it. This is for Nigel being able to wear um, the puncher's gloves. The Reyes, were they there? Reyes. Yeah. And... Um, so Mickey Duff wanted some other gloves. So I said, OK. I I'd normally, even playing football, I never get the call wrong. On here, it's like... And he's gone, OK, uh, no Reyes. So we boxed with some... And Nigel's going, I just, I, I just want to do him anyway. Like, So what difference? He ain't going to make my... Anyway, we get back to Finsbury Park. This idiot has changed the seating so I tried to talk to him and he waved his finger in there and the, I must have punched him in a space no less than six inches he's on the floor you know like Im imitating a wow or whatever but it was quite <laughs> dramatic because I hadn't broken stride it was on there and I thought you fucking that's all like bang he's on the floor they can't believe it and when I look up all of because we're doing this mental ring entrance with all Nigel's battalion of fusiliers and everything else, there's about 60 of them. And they're like, fucking hell, if that's a, if that's a prelim to today, we're going to be in for a, we're going to be in for a treat. Now, we go, everyone's arrived. The England squad came from Lillishaw to come down in the VIP area, Panos, Levitt, and now the, the stars start arriving. So, someone's it's now starting where's George Michael you know can I have a sponsor can I get some pictures taken a sponsor saying can I get some pictures done with George Michael 
So I thought, fuck. So I phoned this agency that we were using for Michael Jackson lookalikes and said, have you got a George Michael lookalike? There's a moment of genius inspired, <laughs> two inspired th thinking. So they said, yeah. I said, well, could put him in a taxi or something and send him down there. We'll, this is the address. Come to the front gate. So I told our, the bear, our head of security, look, a, my, um, a George Michael lookalike's coming down here. Meet him at the gate and bring him straight into the VVIP hospitality tent. Anyway, I'll tell you this. This guy turned up. Um, he looked like George, and I know, well, and God rest his soul, I knew George Michael. This guy looked like, smelt like George Michael. You know, like you're just greeting somebody. And then he opened his mouth and he sounded like fucking Gracie Fields. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. So he's got, so the bear, Peter, has gone, like, what, what? As soon as he opens his fucking mouth, everybody's going to know that he's... I said, no, listen, take him into the inner ringside seats, sit with him, give him a drink or or whatever, and uh, but don't let anyone fucking talk to him. <laughs> anyway, about half hour later, I get a phone call from my mate Peter. He's, I said, Pete, what, what's, what's the problem? He said, listen, this cunt is... <laughs> Is the a pest unbelievable? He thinks that he is honestly. I said, Pete, I've got news for you. I want fucking 8,000, 9,000 people to think the same thing. Just do your job, stay with him. And and anyway, I said, Look, I'll come down to where you are. I said, Listen, mate, I don't know how much you're getting paid, but I'll give you three times whatever it was. Just sit in here, get drunk if you want, and, and can we rely on you to, to just. So he said, um, yeah, of yeah, course we can. Can I have that money now? I said, listen, I'll chase you for this money every, everywhere if you don't do what we're asking to do. He went, I, I, I don't, you know, don't worry about this, that and the other. Anyway, we're on. It's, it's all going nicely and everything else. The early, it's all going nicely. The, the early fight's on. A kid called Tony Adams out of Brixton. And Johnny Nelson was also on the bill, by the way. And uh, I get a, a, a phone call from from Peter. He said, um, I said, Pete, fucking hell, what's the problem now? He went, hold up, hold up a minute. I said, what? He went, George Michael's at the gate, the front gate. I said, I thought you said he was sitting next to you. He went, no, the fucking real one is at the front, <laughs> is at the front gate. If I cut this conversation short by telling you, there are people who swear to this day that they saw George Michael being thrown out of fucking <laughs> by the seat of his pants <laughs> out of Finsbury out of Park onto the pavement. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Absolutely unreal. <laughs> fucking hell. But anyway, getting to the important thing, you know, it was a, like we had a great night last night. Finsbury Park, not just because I was the author of it. It's one of the greatest nights ever, ever, ever in, in British boxing. Because it served all purposes. You know, little things that you probably don't know. When Nigel was a judge to have lost, watch the referee, John Coyle. He ain't even looking at Nigel. He's, he's going like this. 
Nigel's standing behind him. Nigel's up at, at nine and sprung up, you know, so it showed he had, there was nothing amiss in his knees or no stiffness or rigidity or anything like that. But with, in, with hindsight, it was a good decision because it allowed Nigel to go on and achieve the things that he had. So I had a couple of contingencies. If he lost, we were going to Jamaica the next day and because there was an IBF conference um, headed up by IBF Europe with the late John Robinson. So, so we never had any change rooms. We had Winnie Bagos, you know, those huge caravan things. And then Nigel, in the change rooms, was showing signs of discomfort. I said, what's the problem? He had gone to, it was some girl that he was enamoured with and she plaited his hair. So he was sat on the floor for some ridiculous period of time. I think it was about 20 hours in the previous 36 hours getting this, these plates done. And now at, at, at some point it was all going to grip tight so we had to cut these things through tight it broke his concentration completely and so he reacted to the crowd you know with the ring entrance as you can see them yourself anybody again they're on you youtube so you come roaring into the ring all hyped up and etc and that's great because it was a tremendous fire always remember he was an aba champion and um, as Brian Lynch, who was best late, best, sorry, as Brian Lynch, who was in the best position to judge whether his fighter was doing everything according to plan or not. And uh, as he says, um, he just abandoned the game plan. You probably saw it yourself. He punched himself out a bit, didn't he? Marco wasn't just you know, tucked it, up, then he walked it, him down. So, that's the general consensus of, of opinion. But what happened? He went over to... This was the most embarrassing moment of Nigel's life. You know, he'd gone on the floor. It wasn't the hardest punch that put him on the floor, but it was the one that did. And he fled the ring. He, he legged it back to the changing room. So there was an aisle, and then the Winnie Bagos were at the, the back of it. So Nigel, anyway, I, I thought, so the, the head of security said, Amy, where's Nigel? Anyway, we look up there, he's legging it to the, the changing room. And I mean legging it, I don't mean one step after the other. Anyway, so I went into the, to the I ran down after him, ran into the chamber, said to everybody, get out, get out of the changing room. I looked at Nigel, he's looked at me, he's, he's gone, Amy, it's all gone, it's all, it's all fucked up, you know, the jewellery, the girls, the cars. You know, it's all fucked up. What are we going to do? I said, oh, fuck me. It's we now. We've had, we'd have, we've had a two weeks of ID, thine, thou, me, mine, first person singular. Now, all of a sudden, it's we. And he went, no, nah, stop it, stop it. What are we going to do? I said, do you still believe you can be middleweight champion of the world? And the, and the ire that came up was almost devilish that came up. And it was, caught off fucking can. I said, well, get ready, we're going back in the ring. He went, what? 
and we went and did the whole ring entrance again. Took him, got him into the ring. I said, when you get into the ring, go and acknowledge Michael, because fucking half the people in here are, are, are going to be laughing at the other half of the people who are in here, the winners and the, and the losers. And he went, no, leave it. Anyway, he went in, and as they say in America, famously, Kevin Moynihan, because this fight, by the way, was the first and only time that a Commonwealth title fight has been shown live coast to coast in the United States. And on, like, Lennox Lewis was there, Roy Jones was there. This was ITV plans to sign Lennox and to sign Roy to, to be groomed, if I don't know that that's the right word, but to be groomed on Nigel Benn fights. The plans were, like, unbelievable. They matched my ambition, that's, that's for sure. And Frank Maloney could be trusted beyond the words trust. So we're all there, we're all ready to do great things. Unfortunately, the best laid plans of mice and men, as they say. And we got and Nigel picked the microphone up and said, listen, everyone, thanks for turning out now, but forget about me. You know, Michael is the man. He beat me, he beat me fair and square. Big words to, to you probably know yourself. Big, big words. Now we get back to the changing room. And I knew he'd had his renaissance. The worst thing, it's, it's worst thing in a defeat, an emphatic defeat, is you can't, in one sense, never mind the fact you've been bashed up, you can't wait to redeem, you know, like your position, your stature and everything else. You know you're gonna to have to go through 200, 300 conversations with people when you don't even wanna be, you don't even wanna be talking. You don't wanna to talk to anyone, you're lost. It's devastating. So I said, the first thing we're gonna do, Nigel, is we're going to the press conference tomorrow morning. He went, Who, who's the press? I said, it's Michael Watson's, but we're gonna go there in Russell Square in the center of London. So we go there. As soon as Mickey Duff sees me coming in the back of the thing, get that man out of here. Get that man out of here. Once again, the security weren't going to throw me anywhere. They're relying on our shows to get fucking work. Anyway, Nigel walked up to Michael. Mike, I wish you all the best. You know, we'll meet again, definitely. And, and all the press applauded and everything else. So the show was back on the road book the seats, go to Jamaica. When we get to Jamaica, um, I was at, they had a, a hotel reception, cocktails and this that, and the other. Mickey Duff's talking to Don King. And I overheard and he said uh, about Nigel, oh, he bottled it. He, so I couldn't, I, I couldn't stand there and listen to this. So I butted in the conversation. I said, what did you say? He, did, he never had a clue. I said, listen, let me tell you something. For the price of a packet of fucking cigarettes, you never come to this country. And for the price of another packet of cigarettes, you won't fucking leave this country. You better, you need to understand, this is true blue nigger land. You, you know, I so wanted everything, fibre within me, wanted to strangle it because it was such defamation. 
if, if you asked for a fighter who gave his all committed and everything else, and you wanted to look a word up in the dictionary, it, it would come under Nigel Ben. And it is, we were lucky in, in a lot of respects that Gary Newborn persuaded me to, to sign a deal to commit, commit, I think, three years. The, no, sorry, three fights with ITV. So win, lose, draw, no matter what happened, Nigel was going to be an ITV for the next three. And those three fights come up in total to a year. And so the best thing to do was not fight here, go and base ourselves in the United States. And that is the perfect point to just tie up this episode because we could pick this up again when, when we next see you, Ambrose. You'll be very generous with your time again today. Um, but that, that's fascinating stuff around that Watson fight. And that was that was a huge, huge fight in his career. And we are going to need to... This is going to be a three or four part I think this definitely, factor, yeah, it? without because a doubt. Without we need doubt. to hear about America. I'm desperate to hear about America. And then that first Eubank fight. But but yeah, the, the Finsbury Park super tent, you speak to people who were there and they do talk about it in these terms like it was this kind of never-never land. The, 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 an event the like of which only someone like you could have come up with. And, and an event the like of which that probably nobody will ever really ever really see ever really see again um, and we've got the inside track there which was which was fantastic uh, we've monopolised your time quite a bit actually over the last over the <laughs> over the last three days so thanks very much for that um, it's always good to see you and um, it's a pleasure I hope that when we next see you uh, you've three. recovered you've recovered sufficiently for, for part three anytime brilliant brilliant absolutely tremendous okay well um that wraps it up for today. That wraps it up for today, everybody. Do take care. We will be back soon. Yes, that line falls on the right page. Not that Maggie's back in Podcast Network.